folks, you're listening to Heavy Metal Parking Lot, a Darwin's Family Crest presentation. I am Derek, and I'm joined by my partner, Jeremy. Brubaker, what are we doing here tonight, friend? Um, I danced around it too long in the last episode. I kind of was talking about Devin Townsend, kind of talking about Gojira. There happens to be an unreleased song that... I think Joe DePlantier, the singer from Gojira, actually put out to say, look, we uh, we lost the rest of this EP we've been working on. There was a hard drive crash. This is all we have left. There's a song called Of Blood and Salt, officially Gojira, but it features Devin Townsend of Strapping Young Lad, Devin Townsend Project. I mean, if you know us, I've been talking about Devin since the beginning. And it also features Frederick Thordendal, and I apologize if that's wrong, but he's the lead guitarist from Meshuga. So right there, that should give you any kind of idea of what this is going to sound like if you know any one of those artists. Yeah, uh, I've, I'm seeing Thordendal too. The phonetics seem to let uh, to seem to mash up. And when you put Devin Townsend with this uh, Frederick Thordendal you're talking about maybe two of the most recognizable parts that they play. You're talking about lead guitar from Meshuggah and De- and Debbie's just pipes that he has added to this, this four piece. It's, it's a match made in heaven and it's really is unfortunate about what happened to uh, uh, with, with the snafu that you were talking about with uh, losing uh, th- uh, the rest of Sea Shepherd. Yeah, I can't even fathom how bad that would feel. I mean, they have the money, they have the time, they absolutely could have went back and re-recorded or something. But this isn't the first time I've heard this in a band in this technological age completely losing an album and just saying, fuck it, I'm not re-recording this, you know? It has to be a really hard spot, too, because everything I read is that... Devin Townsend and the band Meshuggah themselves. I mean, I'm noticing the genesis of this song is 2011. So they were writing this this thing to be a much, much bigger project. Yep. And the rest of the pieces of the project were supposed to include other acts like Randy Blythe from Lamb of God. This thing was supposed to be massive and it ends up kind of being a single that gets released two and a half years after it was recorded. And it sort of falls like it as a, as an impact, this thing, if this ended up on an, on an EP, this would have been a hammer of a song. I mean, yeah. An and, absolute, yeah. Go ahead. And as it stands, it's largely forgotten. God's yeah. honest truth. I've been listening to all of these acts for that long, probably since 2011 2012 or something and i never heard of this until like late 2018 late 2019 because it wasn't readily available you know i happened to find a youtube video that based on the title and all the uh featuring credits just in the title it looked like how you used to search for shit on Kazaa or LimeWire or Napster. And it was just one of those things that's definitely going to give your computer cancer. It's funny how I dug up this this uh, video and I see a comment on there that says, it took me a minute to figure out that this was real and this this wasn't some sort of lime wire ruse uh sort of practical joke uh from 1999 and this is actually a real song that happened yeah to come to find out that this comment was written by my partner yeah and, uh, posted from from uh the heavy metal parking lot uh, uh issuer every weekend every week yeah it's kind of funny because i forgot i even posted it and I'm just, you don't look at authors of comments on YouTube. And I happen to read it. I'm like, man, I thought I commented something like that. And then I saw my mean mug on the side on the icon. I'm like, oh, that's me. Oh, there's like 400 likes on that. Apparently people agree with me. That's pretty cool. <laughs> right. On top of you looking like uh, the guy from Assassin's Creed. 
Pretty right? much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, to get back to the song, this song is an absolute hammer, and I do sort of feel like um, Gojira's lead vocals. Um, your his name's Joe. I will not bother to to attempt his uh, for his last name, but I feel like this is a real sort of showing out that he's trying to do. I guess maybe just to try to keep up with Devi at this point. Yeah, but he's. I mean, he does, he does, he does his part, and everything I'm seeing, it, uh, you know, that the Trek absolutely benefits from, uh, God, Frederick's uh, addition for, for that he does like a pre-solo and a solo in it, and it feels very Mashuka inside of a Gojira song that Devin was singing on, and it's like, it's like a surreal six and a half minute trip. Yeah. Especially as a huge prog metal fan that listens to all these bands, it's like this is so cool. This is like the convergence of everything I've ever wanted. I wish to Christ this fucking EP would see the light of day someday, but I don't see that happening, you know. And it doesn't read like a Gojira song for me, anyways. Like, like specifically, it sort of feels like this hybrid. And I, I, but I do echo the uh the sentiment that you have about uh sea shepherd at some point surfacing because this apparently like other gojira albums uh sea shepherd was supposed to be a very sort of environmentally friendly sort of like uh, i want to say an echo like you used already but um sort of a it, almost a save the whales kind of project kind of thing that they were thinking out farming out with this um Again. It's, it's funny you say exactly that because I have in my notes for this episode, there's a 2005 song off of Tomorrow's to Sirius called Flying Whales, and it feels like almost like an adjacent sequel to that song in a way, because Flying Whales is very much like we gotta we gotta save the whales. They're the ones that are gonna take us to the next reality and shit, and it's it's very pseudoscience and stuff but it's such a fucking good metal song you know and this feels adjacent to that sure and the first thing i thought about was well you know when you hear someone loses a chunk of an album you know and but this was somehow saved it makes you wonder how much of an album that you had to lose that somehow detracts you from finishing or going back to it because you almost have to feel like they were way, way, way closer to the end than the beginning for them to just say, okay, I can't go back. Or yeah. Because even for them to take like two and a half years, I mean, you know they didn't sit on the idea of putting this album out for two and a half years. No. It just, the timing is just so strange. The timeline is, it almost doesn't seem... I don't want to say logical because I've never lost anything that has been so important to me, such as, you know, I don't know, a, a platinum selling album or a, an album that does really well or really resonates in the in the metal community that would put me up on the next level, on the next echelon of up and coming, uh, you know, artists, you know, because we we're talking about a decade ago. Yeah, that's when you could do some damage. You know, and that was Gojira was kind of all of these bands at that point were kind of there, but they weren't over the top at that point. So they have enough fame at this point that they could absolutely go back and redo it if they want. But sometimes there's just this feeling that once you've captured lightning in a bottle once, you're not even going to fucking try it. It's like, I, why bother? I lost this. It's gone to the annals of time. Now, if you guys feel like our listeners, if you feel like you've, you know, sort of heard we went down this this road before, it's because we've talked about Gojira a good bit um, on Darwin's Family Crest, and they've even come up a couple of times on on Heavy Metal Parking Lot already. But uh, I, I'm asking you a question here at this point, but I don't want to put you necessarily on the spot. But did you find this? Oh, first off, did you find this track? Before or after listening to Magma? Long after. I think Magma came out like 15, 16, and this is like 18. It was last year, basically, that I found this song. That it, you found it? Okay. Yes. Yeah, because, yeah, Magma was 2016. Yeah. And how do you stack of Blood and Salt against 
newer Gojira because I believe what was it was it 2018 that was their last release or is is actually no, that Magma was release? it. Yeah. yeah. How do you stack it up considering you found it later and you know it's older stuff? It like, it feels like it would have belonged on one of their earlier releases for certain, like uh, The Way of All Flesh or, uh, oh God, you're going to make me say it, L'Enfant Sauvage, The Wild <laughs> Child. At any rate, I'm not French. I probably butchered that. I'm sorry. But it could have easily been a closing it could have fit on any one of those albums at any portion because this band in particular just particular particular this band in particular tends to break the norm shatter the paradigm and just do whatever the hell they want and it really works for them you know yeah i actually wish that they would have given me a call because there's no video for this for this track but i would have loved to have directed, produced, and set a uh, a price for how much I would like to see a video made for this album or for this particular track, I'd have been able to make one hell of a fucking Viking video because oh my god, yeah, I literally see either Vikings sort of like rallying to come to a new shore, or I see you know some kind of fabricated trojan horse you know coming up onto you know a wooden gate with you know archers shooting flame arrows you know at each other at this point from quick distance i don't know it just it ramps me the fuck up and the fact that it's six minutes and the end of the track is just so carnal oh it's just like a grinding death march it's so good (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's straight trenches at that point yeah so yeah it's got to get out and listen to this one because it, it is it's it the description is every bit as fake as it sounds but it's a real fucking track and it's it's probably my favorite gojira song if you can call it still a gojira song instead of a massive collabo yeah, um, yeah. you know it, this whenever you put something out as a single it almost sort of like you start wondering like oh my god what exactly is this like some of the stuff that makes me think of like whenever zach de la roca came out with a bunch of stuff that was just him rapping on somebody else's beats and stuff like that it's like okay rage isn't coming isn't any closer to coming back together so is this any more rage than it is uh you know zach de la roca doing his own thing is this gojira just doing this massive collab and putting it out for the sake because they're not going to be able to salvage the entire album at um, this point. The same year this came out, I think it's the same year. I'm not really going to look it up right now. But um, Devin Townsend Project put out an album called Deconstruction, which is probably my favorite Devin Townsend Project album. And it felt like it was probably in a lot of the same studio sessions that they recorded this because um you had a shitload of guest singers michael ackerfelt from opeth you had joe Duplantier from gojira you had uh i don't even know all of the names on it i don't care to look it up right now but uh deconstruction has a song called sumeria in it that it's like almost the same setup as this song. You start with Debbie just wailing it out, and then Joe comes in and just starts doing his thing, and it's like, God damn, man. I gotta imagine they were both recorded in 2011. They both are busy people. It was probably right around the same time this was recorded, and it feels very similar. Sort of feels like uh, this is like these were both hammer tracks. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Just, it's like which one of these is going on which album, you know? Sure. You know, I'm sure that probably came up too because maybe once they hit a a little bit of a roadblock with this this computer issue, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Debbie would have been on the horn and been like, hey, we got something coming up here. Yeah. We can give you royalties if this thing's stuck in the mud. Yeah. Let's yeah, I'd like to keep you, like to keep you working, my dude. Yeah. Um I'll get into lyrics in a minute. I I kind of want to sidestep a hair. I mentioned several 
songs over the past week. Several of them were on mic and a couple off mic and everything. Did you end up checking out that uh, Apex Twin cover, a Dillinger Escape Plan covered <laughs> with uh, Mike Patton? Are we going to talk about uh, Debbie's version of Come to Daddy where he completely just hammers it and makes it his own? Man. <laughs> I mean. Rip it out of the park. Yeah. I mean, way to absolutely crush my idea of what a cover is. You know? Yeah, because I didn't think you could cover a band like Apex Twin, you know, because it's just this is beyond techno. This isn't the prodigy. This is if you've never heard Apex Twin, just to further devolve into how wild, how eccentric my music uh, stylings are. He does anything from ambient to the craziest, the craziest time signatures and shit you've ever heard in a techno song. It's literally at points unlistenable. If it comes on in the car, I find myself doing like 85, 90 miles an hour before I realize I'm speeding. And then it's like, Oh man, I better switch this song off. You know? Yeah. Apex twin reminds me of, it sort of strikes me like a, a college student's, mixed playlist or something like that or a mixed cd where you don't put certain songs back to back but apex twin does mm-hmm. like they will certainly put again you talk about the ambient music and that kind of thing they will put something that sounds like derude and then mm-hmm. right next to like fucking mindless self-indulgence and yep. just look at you and be like all right so we're going to do something different on the third track. So Take this, piggy. Just st- ingest this. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's an apple at the end of my mouth, dude. I'm, But I'm in for it, though, because a lot of their shit is super short. So you can kind of tolerate it as long as it's not something I listen to every day. But I appreciate that it was around and is around. Um, I don't knock it because it's not something you can listen to and like day in and day out and be a functional human being. But again, the embracing of the whole idea that, yeah, that's that Debbie just said, all right, well, I, we know that this is, this is techno before it's anything and saying, I don't give a fuck. I'm doing this <laughs> and just absolutely hammering it. It, you know, <clears throat> I don't have necessarily a cover rank yet, but this one may have just absolutely shit hammered my top ten. It definitely, I'm sorry, it may have shit hammered my top five. It definitely shit hammered my top ten. Yeah, it's really, really good. You know, we're gonna get into um, something uh, in our next segment. Uh, there's another cover from another album that we'll be talking about. Uh, hint, hint. Uh, but yeah, that version that comes to Daddy. It's 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 what you're looking for when you hear that Devin Townsend is covering a song that it doesn't feel like he not necessarily doesn't have any business doing, but you feel like you would love to see him do it if he could pull it off. I'd love to see you knock this out of the park. Yeah. If he could pull it off, please do it. Please, please try. Try for us. Mm -hmm. We like it. Um I'll go to another uh, another thing you sent me. I don't know. This one definitely didn't make the show, but it's certainly interesting. Um, Code Orange played a show on the uh, in Pittsburgh on the 14th of March, and uh, it made YouTube. And this was a fucking banger. This all right. Entire- let me give let, let me give you a little bit of background behind this. This was their record release party. Their uh, album underneath just came out and pittsburgh is home and they're gonna put out a record release party the night that the album's coming out and everything and you know we went into lockdown and everything was shut down and everything and the band rather than just resigning like almost everybody logically would do they twitch streamed their entire concert to no audience and i'm telling you the production value on this tour i was i was buying tickets for this show dude and it ended up falling through and them saying yeah we'll be back (laughs) it just blows my mind 
because I'm telling you, this looks like anything you would see on a professionally released Blu-ray, like live concert thing, minus the audience going nuts, because these guys, the production value is cranked up to 11. Now, my preface to this is Code Orange, not going to be everybody's cup of tea. But um, they, I've been saying for literally, I forget when Forever came out. It was either 16 or 17. For that long, I've been saying this is the perfect convergence of hardcore and industrial to a level I've never seen other than maybe Nine Inch Nails to a lesser degree. But these guys literally started out as hardcore kids and they just cranked up the industrial aspect of it on this one. And it feels like... When I listened to this new album the first time, it felt like the first time I listened to the Broken EP, Nine Inch Nails. It's just that fucking intense. Yeah, that's a big fucking statement right there, too, because I remember reading that from you. And this was, again, this was one of those just after the show, like, hey, listen, tripped upon this, you know, you're healing from an appendectomy. You got shit to do. Just watch this. Just watch and, this and mosh around your living room. <laughs> and I, I did. I, I absolutely did. I, I had a bunch of fucking stored up stress. Believe me. Yeah. Uh, uh, but more, more than you know. But what I, what I will say though is the first ten minutes of, of this video, I don't know what tracks they are, uh-huh. but they pulled me the fuck in. I was like. I am in on Code Orange right now for these yeah. first 10 minutes. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's not even in Dutch industrial so much as, like, glitchcore or something. They're making, they're carving their own niche in concrete at this point because, you know, it's obviously got the hardcore stylings. Jamie screaming, her just fucking jamming the guitar and stuff. Uh, and... I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't say Reba Myers is quickly becoming the baddest bitch in metal. She is crazy. There's a song off of an EP called The Hunt, which originally featured Corey Taylor singing as well as the lead singer, Jamie. And Reba had to stand in, obviously, because Corey wasn't in, in this show. And I'm telling you, it's not Corey Taylor, but she's definitely not going to lay down and just half-ass it. No, and again, uh, you were right. Uh, 2014 for I Am King, 2017 for Forever. Yeah. Just back-checking that, uh, but spot-on as usual. You know, Reba Myers, I was going to – I had started to do a little bit of a deep dig on her because her voice, it doesn't sound like – it sounds like one that I've heard before. And then I realized that – I know they've only been together for eight, nine years, that yeah. kind of thing. It, this is a this is an organic voice to to my mind to my ears yeah. and i i mean i'm right there with you she hammers her parts and there's a there's a part in the video uh or i'm sorry in the show in the record release that's i don't know it's about 43 44 minutes in it's sort of a little spoken word piece that kind of talks about um uh, sometimes there's some things that are going around going on at this time you probably yeah little better give give a little speak a little better to it than i would but it definitely moved me so well jamie just says that uh thank you for watching this stream to everybody watching it and uh i want to show you something he spins the camera around that was like hard camera facing the band and faces the audience he's like we're seeing a lot of this lately we're gonna see a lot more of this before it's done and this is what happens when we let the rat fucks that are in charge take care of us you know and for every day that we wake up next to someone we love or by ourselves, you got to remember that each and every one of us is our king. So you got to look out for yourself. And then they just hammer I am king. And it's just this band is something special. Yeah, because that's the close. That's the close on the uh, on the or on the on the video. So it's or in for the release at that point. So it's really good. And yeah, he definitely does say rat fuck. You got to be in for <laughs> which is awesome yeah and um jesus christ they when they put the whole twitch stream on youtube they uh put the link on twitter and 
they thanked everybody again for listening and everything. And I just tweet replied them, I am king. And they liked and retweeted it. And that just, that just felt so good for this band that I've been watching for a little while to acknowledge me on Twitter, even if it's their catchphrase or whatever. It's like, I don't give a fuck. That feels good, you know? You know, that seems to be something that I feel like across the board, Heavy Metal Parking Lot has got to endorse. <coughs> Excuse me. Is that, you know, Code Orange is from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And they are a local band for many of us. So being still with that local band sort of feel and, and their drive and their sound and everything they're still doing these kinds of things for the fans. Whenever you show appreciation, they will go ahead and they will reciprocate that. And I, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the coolest things, the coolest feeling things in the world. There's no doubt. There's no two ways about it. You know, my partner just said like, Hey, listen, anytime this happens, it's fucking remarkable. And he's a hundred percent right. It's happened once or twice to me in the past, but every time it feels equally amazing, you know? Sure. Um, you know, I feel I feel like we've done some really, really good due diligence um, on the things that definitely hit the show um, and didn't hit the show from last week. Um, I, we're going to maybe wrap it here. And uh, I just had one more thing to say. Lyrics. Uh, the lyrics are pretty yes. self-explanatory. It's pretty much uh, because of the Sea Shepherd thing and everything. It's anti-poaching and everything. But um there's just one point in this song that gives me chills every fucking time. Townsend rips off Swallow the Lies from Sick Ideals and the clarity of his range in and at that moment just gives me fucking the the music chills. I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably get them too. But Derek and I have definitely said that we get this uh, weird thing where it's like, holy god it cuts you through your soul you know just i'm not even going to try to emulate it but if you listen to the song you'll hear what i'm saying swallow the lies from sick ideals and he is just way off the fucking scale at that point and it's just strong and clear and amazing and yeah i mean it's a six minute or we probably gotta start it now so we'll be back in a few with Derek's choice for this week and thanks for listening
Welcome back to Heavy Metal Parking Lot, presented by Darwin's Family Crest. I am Derek, and you're still with Jeremy and I. Uh, we are at section two of uh, the third episode of HMPL. And rather can I just than say, can I just fucking jump in here for a second? It feels really good to be doing this again. And uh, uh, the mutual podcast that we listen to, seeing them kind of you know, grabbing at straws and stuff, freaking out to be doing this remote for the first time post-quarantine world. It's kind of neat that we've been doing it all along this way. And, uh, you know, they don't sound any better or worse than us right now, but they certainly don't sound better. So it feels good to know that we had this shit on lock a year ago. Welcome down to our level, come boys. How's it feel? How's it feel? Well, it probably feels better than us because they're still making ungodly money but <laughs> you know and they have a fantastic soundboard i will give that to them they do I, I mean it might only be six buttons but they're very very well thought out buttons i didn't think i'd have the rig i did last year i mean you know dream big maybe we'll have it someday <laughs> I, I was worried about having a rig before 2021 to be honest so every show that we do from here on out I'm all in for, and I want to make sure that we're putting out, especially on my end, that we're putting out the most homogenous and the most informative uh, show that we can give you on a week-to-week basis. So uh, with that being said, uh, we should probably get to my track. Um, What's uh, it again, choose? Not, a, uh, not a, uh, an unfamiliar sight to uh, Darwin's Family Crest. Uh, another uh, Rob Flynn uh mentioned he's the royalties must be astronomical from this show uh by now <laughs> but uh machine heads uh the burning red uh from 1999 uh, pretty much i could have thrown a dart at the 12 tracks that are on there and i would have been made my peace with whichever one you know at, at any point i could have picked desire to fire i could have picked i defy uh, I could have picked the blood, the sweat, the tears. I went with five. And it's more of a personal choice that I can't really explain to anyone that hasn't had to prepare for something that is that seems so frivolous as a amateur outdoor sports entertainment event. I used to listen to this track before I would get in the ring. And after I did a deep dig on this song, I feel like the most absolute hunk of trash in the world because of the actual like feeling and the the real meaning behind this actual track. I, I was going to ask you if you knew that at the time, because no. I immediately got a... Uh... There's another song this reminds me a lot of on the first self-titled Corn album, Daddy, which once you've experienced that song, you don't really need to listen to it anymore. You got you got the message. You got the fucking juju. But I felt like if you knew what this song was about, you probably wouldn't be pump up music with it. You know what I mean? Sure. I understand how catty it looks to think about how it rallied me to do a bunch of fake shit in the ring that we did at only in reflection now. Oh, I was going to say, I'm not judging. I mean, if you don't know the lyrics, it's a fucking scorching track. I mean, even still, like the, the lyrics can just be they can be they could be Mickey Mouse. They could be fabricated. These are not fabricated Mickey Mouse lyrics. These our testimony of an actual event that happened. Uh, we're going to get into that just a little bit. The first thing, I'm going to stand on ceremony just a little bit here. Um, my biggest issue is the qualification and how this this album is is classified. I have a real, real issue with calling this album new metal. And I have an even bigger issue with calling this groove metal. I just don't get any of those vibes from any from any of these tracks. I don't care how you know how much how tight they are and how they do have this kind of like sort of I don't I don't know, does metal have to be 
just grinding and just like is this does it have to be skulls getting pulverized into fucking dust like can it be a little funky without it being new or groove metal i can't stand these fucking labels that they put with the exception of death metal or doom metal with rare rare exceptions with uh subgenres i don't understand what the fuck would make this groove metal? I don't. It's certainly not new metal because that would put them in league with like your Limp Biscuits, your early Corn. I don't know. Corn never even felt new metal to me. You know, like Spine Shank, like fucking uh, Coal Chamber, the guys that jumped as much as they played the guitar on stage. You know what I'm saying? Way to take dead aim at Ross Robinson, by the way, who right? produced this album and. Uh, we'll just go down through his his uh, his brief, um, although very prevalent um, uh, collection of music that I am harboring in a in a tote somewhere underneath my basement steps. Yeah. So let's just go through it here. The self-titled Corn, Adrenaline by the Deftones, yeah. Life is Peachy by Corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the the Roots album by Sepultura. I was going to say Sepultura's Roots, and I bet there's a Soulfly in there as well. The self-titled, and the self-titled Cole. Uh, the, the, the metal uh, Vanilla Ice album called Hard to Swallow, which I actually really enjoy. That's new metal. That's yeah. new metal to me. Call that new metal. Call that groove metal if you want to. Yeah. Because if you're remastering a, what is it? I guess it's a David Bowie uh like like original sort of sort of beat and then taking that and putting it into like remaster like reimagining what is it a reboot it's a reboot mm-hmm. song um to go to too cold that's groove metal that's new metal that's new shit don't call don't call this album that is just an effort to be different from a band that has like received a bunch of criticism for getting pigeonholed for a similar sound. Like, mm. I feel like that's what happened on this, on this album. Like Rob Flynn had a lot of bite back with this, with this classification. And I, a lot of the, a lot of the new people, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A lot of the band members, including the new guitar player. Um, it turns out Leia, Logan Mater left uh, in 98 but he still ended up writing, and he got some uh, some uh, royalty credentials for writing the the the, uh, the main riff for I Defy. Uh, he was replaced by I I want to like bitch up this guy's name, but it looks like Aru Luster or Aru Luster. Okay. Um. I, I, but he did a. I mean, the new guitar player. You would thought they had spent ten years together. I mean, this this is a really really solid album. And again, not to further kick fucking dust on on Ross Robinson, but he did he did all three Limp Bizkit albums uh, from '97 to '03. Uh, did follow the leader, and, and again with '99, uh, the Burning Red coming out. I guess that's where they sort of slotted this thing in. Uh, they looked at the producer. They looked at hey, there's some kind of rappy stuff that they're doing on this album. Look at it. It's new metal. Like, why are we calling it anything else? And that's just a trash moniker, if you ask me. I, I can't, agree. I can't stand it. If you listen to that album straight through, and you really don't have a whole lot of choice, what are you going to turn off on that album? What mm. track are you going to turn off? It's just, I mean, and again, I... This is the one, Burning Red is the one with the, good God, say that a couple more times. With the cover of Message in a Bottle, which is outstanding and truthfully flew right under my radar until one of the first times you and I ever talked about cover songs. And I listened to it because I've always low-key loved the police, Mm -hmm. even with his shitty fake accent and stuff he's doing for the police and stuff. But I always liked that song. And what they brought to that cover just blew my head apart, you know? Just punching Gordon in the dick right around the corner from, from, I mean, it is. It's a it's a great song that is covered immensely well. It's literally number one on my list. It's there's no, eh, no. I mean, it's it's number one. And again, we talked about Come to Daddy, uh, what Debbie did with it. It's not there yet. 
you know there's some yeah. other really really good covers out there um you know we'll get into that at some point it, i would imagine it's going oh. to be at length for so, certain we could do a covers episode easy we would need to do a covers i mean a series, <laughs> a series yeah like probably you know maybe started fucking 25 uh you know we'll go back to mandela if you will um, <laughs> look i i don't want to get too too hung up on all this but we've already talked about how ross robinson sort of gave everybody this whole uh stigma of this being uh, a new metal or an experimental album i just i don't it doesn't read that way to me i just it's never like did it, to me either I don't understand why that would. I guess it was the times, like you said, 1999 was a good time to. Hey, you like new metal? This I can slot this perfectly into the hole right here that you don't have filled. You know, you don't know Machine Head. Well, here you go, new new metal for you. And it's just it's misrepresented across the board. It's just misrepresented, and there's. There's no more misrepresented song on that entire album than the the track that we're talking about here. We're talking about five. Um, uh, it's track eleven on the song or on the album. It's um, it's it's very 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 visceral. It's very very like carnal. And what drew me to it initially, and I think probably why I had so much initial appreciation for it, was it was it's it felt like a one take you know it kind of felt like all right we're doing this this is what we're gonna this is how the song's gonna sound so we're hitting it and we're gonna hit it fucking hard and they just put everything on there and you know we go back to um maybe the only thing that ross robinson decided to do correctly on this whole thing there are probably two uh, Message in a Bottle was supposed to be a B-side that was supposed to be like uh, either an attachment or maybe only on a Japanese release or something like that. And he talked Rob Flynn and the rest of the band into actually putting it on the main album because of an acoustic version that he did that he was sitting in on. They weren't even recording at that point. And he said, your riff on this is that fucking good. It needs to be on the main album. I don't know what we have to bump, but that needs to be on the main album. It was a good call for certain. It, it was. And, you know, again, it's it's maybe maybe one of the best things that, you know, Ross Robinson brought to this entire album. But, uh, you know, getting back to five, uh, this this is an album or sorry, this is a song that. Even if you go to, I don't know, we're coming up on, I mean, we just hit the 20 year mark and maybe 2024, they'll do a 25 year uh, version of the Burning Red release and that kind of thing. And you still won't hear this song live. And the reason you won't hear it is because uh, it's largely a testimonial of uh, the abuse uh, that Flynn suffered whenever he was a five year old. Uh, this is basically a testimony of child abuse and what going back through and rereading the lyrics again, it, the shit hurt my fucking heart, uh, knowing that I had been somehow discounting that maybe this wasn't the actual thing. I remember it was a month, it was a month, October in a garage. I was standing scared and somber. I could smell your breathing and the pain you're leaving. So ashamed I'm feeling and now I am left to fate, you know, for all the times I'm losing my mind, you molest and destroy just a five-year-old boy. You make me suffer, motherfucker, ripped my heart out. It was so good. Like, you know. Yeah, and he doesn't miss a fucking beat the whole time. And no. he's, it, it, it's no longer woe is me when he wrote this song. It's no longer this is what I'm carrying on my back. This is I'm throwing this back at my fucking torturer you know and you can feel the viscera coming through his voice it's insane just so much hatred and it's just amazing the song is fucking awesome and it's another one burning red kind of flew under my radar as a whole until we talked about that cover and um 
because I kind of jumped on board around the Blackening album. Yeah. So I was, you know, missing a couple pretty damn good albums in the meantime. Sure. You know, and again, there's, you know, I, there were two albums before The Burning Red, and then um, there was a, a, a Supercharger came out, and Supercharger sort of felt, that's it felt a little poppy. It felt new metal. Yeah, it felt new metally. Yeah, it felt. You know, you talked about Cold Chamber and and those kinds of bands like, you know, I I, I crashing around you. Their their single. I, I mean, again, I've got a lot of love for that song because that was my heel music walking out. And again, I don't want to make this about my fucking faux pas uh, wrestling career, but I why why not though. That's part of your life. Who who cares? I mean, that's that's definitely part of you. If that's what it elicits to you, that's amazing. You know, that's that's a time of your life you wouldn't take back. This is a 16 or 17 year timestamp that's what's literally happening about this band. Yeah. And there's really, you know, I've got some really, really sort of somber feelings about not taking the lyrics seriously, like knowing them back to front but not taking them seriously, that shit, that shit, it works on me a little bit, you know, cause you don't, you don't want to ever, ever, you know, you don't want to limit or you don't want to make light or just not even just fail to recognize the actual pain that somebody's going through. Um, are you familiar with the song? This is, this is my story in this vein. Are you familiar with the song aesthetics of hate from the blackening? No, not off the you top sh- of the head. Sorry. You should check it out. It's just another grinding, kick-ass, fucking tight metal song. And the story behind it, I will let you peek behind the curtain before you even hear the song. Aesthetics of Hate was an article written the week Dimebag Daryl was murdered on stage. And Dime was friends with, like, everybody that Pantera ever played with. Dime was just one of the purest metal souls out there, you know? And this guy was saying that he probably deserved it in this article. Uh, It was an iconoclast article uh, he titled Aesthetics of Hate, said, well, Dime was pretty much asking for it with all the hate and shit that he spewed through his music. So Rob wrote Aesthetics of Hate to spew back at this reporter, and you should really check out the song because it, Man, once I figured out what it was actually about, it's like it took it shaped it differently in my mind what this song actually was. I'm not saying it was a throwaway before, but I really love the song even more now. So I'm hoping maybe that's how you feel about this song, because you loved it enough to have it as a entrance music and shit. And you loved it for how long? So now it's even deeper, you know? Well, first off, I want to again, I want to give you that for pulling uh, another solid and reference for the for the listening audience <clears throat> so aesthetics of hate actually earned a grammy nominee in 2011 so obviously people were listening to it i don't know that it was a single uh I it apparently was there was a video i don't know if it was i don't know if you'll ever really hear a lot of machine head on the radio yeah. rob really likes saying motherfucker a lot so Probably sure. won't probably won't hear a lot of Machine Head on the radio, but it's definitely worth your time. God love that motherfucker for saying it all the time too. I mean, in real talk time. But look, you know, you bring something else up too. You know, we we have these sort of parallels that we do get to eventually, and that kind of thing. I know. Again, we talked about maybe getting to Lamb of God. And uh, momentum, uh, Mori in in this episode. I doubt we will. Uh, I just feel like it's going to be way too big of a piece for next week, and I could probably use another week on it. Uh, yeah, because... I'm going to cover that song next week because it definitely bears a full half an episode discussing it. Because I've been listening to Lamb of God much less than a lot of people. They yeah. flew under my radar, not even flew under my radar. Everybody said you got to get into it. Yeah. And everybody said that Randy Blythe's voice is something you got to get used to. And I just, 
one day it clicked, and we can get into that next week. But yeah. man, man, Lamb of God is among my favorites now, and it it took a while, but this song, it's definitely going to be next week's episode for me. Yeah, and I'm I'm always in between tracks. I never try to set anything until bef- you know shortly. I guess after we finish the editing for this, because I like to come off of a feeling and kind of ride that feeling about the next week's song. And we do, we're sort of a seat of our pants kind of establishment here. So you like to keep me on my toes. So, yeah, but just, just to wrap on this, on the burning red and five and that kind of thing, you know, after listening to the burning red i actually went backwards in terms of you know their acts and that kind of thing so you know i went to burn my eyes and then still uh, one of my favorite albums of all time yeah which is which is the 94 release and fucking then I, davidian i have never heard a more intense intro to it and it's it's literally about the branch davidians and david koresh and stuff and it's let freedom ring with a shotgun blast. It, it's so good. And that whole album is just, you would not believe to listen to it today. If you're a machine head fan, that it was written in 1993, 1994. I, you would never think if you listen to them now that they have been around for 30 years. Nope. Until you start seeing the gray whiskers in Rob's beard at this point. Yeah. Speaking of, um, they were doing quarantine, uh, him and his son were playing the new single acoustic and his son was playing cello accompaniment. Uh, they were playing circle the drain and it was yeah. really cool. It's like father son bonding. He's playing and pseudo editing the motherfuckers out of the song into like <laughs> hell and stuff. Like he's still swearing. You can tell it's still going to be Rob Flynn, but it's, it was really cool to see his son accompanying this song with cello. You should look it up. It's on YouTube. I give you a fucking laundry list of things every day. I feel like I'm a lot to take sometimes. I get to them. I mean, and I obviously appreciate them. You know, one of these one of these times we're going to get the actual smart idea to do some reposting for, you know, DFC recommendations uh, via the HMPL episodes. Uh, I feel like that's going to trend at some point. Oh, uh, for sure. Again, just to put a quick wrap on all this, you know, I, I'm, I'm still just so, I'm almost numb from my own ignorance, I guess, not just to the classification, the like the or the the public view of it, and the song and that kind of thing. But just the this band, it seems like it's just never getting the the push that it needs to. I mean, burn my eyes and the more things change. They were solid, solid fucking releases. And then Supercharger sounded like what everybody else wanted it to sound like. Burn mm. the Burning Red was their second best selling album ever. I believe and, that. And and they they sold this like the same amount of records in three days as burn my eyes did in eight years wow unreal and on like to that note their most recent release uh is a band or i'm sorry is an album from 2018 called catharsis and the way billboard classified it was it's a return to their new metal roots fuck you it's just a fucking urinal cake in new like in society's view of what a real fucking solid band uh, a well-fronted band and uh, again another meticulous band that just puts together solid fucking records that people can listen to can i give you a quick story to tie this all together please man i am so good at this anymore um so when catharsis came out they put out a song called beyond the pale and the main riff to be on the pale sounds not identical, but similar to a strapping young lad song called love. Okay. And everybody was trying to flame war machine head. Everybody was trying to cut Rob Flynn to pieces because of it. And, uh, none other than Devin Townsend came out of the woodwork. He's like, 
guys, I'm friends with Rob. I'm friends with Machine Head. It's a good riff. Leave him the fuck alone. And it died. And it's like, that's how you, that's how you deal with that. It's yeah. like, oh my God, they sound like strapping young lad. And Debbie's like, yeah, well, it's a good riff. Fuck off. Yeah. I, you know, he, you shouldn't have to call Debbie in to defend this band, no matter what happens or what they do. You because know. you want to talk criminally underrate, underrated, who has had his finger on the pulse for 25 years is Devin Townsend. Yeah. I mean, Devin Townsend literally produced the first major label release from Lamb of God, and I didn't know that until long after the fact. Because I watched a uh, documentary, and there was a fresh-faced Devin Townsend producing them saying i don't know if these guys are very good <laughs> it's just wild you know sure well i think this is probably a good time to call uh to call scene for uh this uh this end of the segment and uh i want to thank you um earnestly for taking your time and staying safe and listening to us uh during these questionable times uh that we're experiencing right now um again this has been heavy metal parking lot and i've been derek he's been jeremy off and on um and uh you know validate your parking hell yeah don't forget where you're parked we love you guys keep on listening we got them ready to crank out see you next time cheers
Well, there it is. Episode 3 in the bag. Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Darwin's Family Crest. Jeremy and Derek soothing you to sleep. Hopefully not to sleep, but you know what I'm saying, y'all. Thanks for listening again. Uh, we don't own any of this music. This is an homage to our favorites. Stay safe out there. It's a pretty weird time. And uh, don't forget where you parked.